Yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? Oh, man, those kids did such a good job on that. Um, it's, it's amazing to see the story and to see Christmas through the eyes of a child, isn't it? I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And I mean, that, that, that saying, it's known, like, to see it through the eyes of a child. And, and to remember what it was like when everything was so magical and there was so ma- much excitement. Like, I love that feeling. And as you grow up, and, and kids, we're so excited to have you guys in here. We're going to have some fun with you today. So I, I want you to know that this is for you too, okay? Um, but parents, you know what, what's the most fun for parents during Christmas? Do you know? It's watching you. It's not even about the presents for us anymore. The most exciting thing about Christmas for us parents is watching you guys experience the excitement and the magic of Christmas and the importance of Christmas. And so, unfortunately for my kids, because I love watching the excitement of Christmas so much, I kind of torture my kids on Christmas Day. And, and, I mean, I'm just okay with it because it's so awesome for me. Parents, you might, some of you guys might do this too. At our house, this is generally how it works. The kids aren't allowed to wake us up before 7 a.m. So if they wake up before then, they have to just kind of sit and stare at the presents and not touch them. Once they do wake us up at 7 a.m., then we have to get ready, like my wife and I. We have to take showers, I have to shave my face, we have to get all dressed, and they have to go get dressed too, right? Some of you guys are like, I can't believe how mean this guy, I haven't even started yet, all right? Um, So after we're all ready, then we make a big breakfast. And I mean, like, it can't just be a simple breakfast, like we're making pancakes, and we're making bacon, and we're making grits, and we're gonna slowly eat this breakfast together in full view of the Christmas tree. And so like the whole time, like the energy and the excitement is just stirring in them. And I just love it. I love seeing that joy and excitement in them. And I mean, I've got to finish my coffee before we start opening presents because I got to be fully awake. And so, I mean, I'm just like, just sipping and taking my time. And they're just sitting there stirring it the whole time. And for me, it's the best part of Christmas, like watching them get ready to open the presents and experience that joy. It's just such a great morning for me. And so I just want to make it last. And so, you know, somewhere around 11 a.m., 11.30, they'll finally get to start opening their stocking, maybe. But we go through. And then once it starts, you know, it's like a tornado. They rip through everything. They play with one thing. The other things end up in the closet within a week and never seen again. And that's Christmas morning. And it's an amazing, beautiful, comfortable time. We eat our favorite foods. We wear our favorite or comfortable clothes. And we're all together as a happy family on that Christmas morning, which is amazing because it was nothing like the very first Christmas, right? I mean, when you think of our Christmases together, which I think are awesome, like we should celebrate and open presents and enjoy time together and torture our children a little bit. Um, but the first Christmas, it just wasn't that way. And we're going we're gonna to learn about it a little bit today, kids. If you have your Bible, you can open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 7, which describe the, the circumstance and the, some of the timing of when Jesus was born. And we're going to project the words on the screen. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry. And so here we pick up in verse 4 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. All right, before we 
start looking into this passage too much, we're, we're going to just look at the first portion of it, and we're going to talk about the first portion of what it was like for them to try to find a place. But I want to ask some questions of some kids, which we're a small enough church where I think I can do this, and if something weird happens, I don't have to write too many thank you cards. So you just never know what's going to happen when you put a microphone in front of a child. Um, but I need, I need a kid who knows something about Rudolph. What kids know something about Rudolph? Okay, I'll start with my own kid so I don't get in too much trouble at home. What's something about Rudolph that you know? He has a red nose. He has a red nose. That's good. That's something. I saw a hand over here. Do you want to tell me something about Rudolph? No? Okay, that's okay. Any other kids? Tell me something about Rudolph. He's a reindeer. He's a reindeer. That's correct. Very good. He has glasses. That's glasses. <laughs> sure. All right. He's brown. He's brown. Very good job. Any other kids want to tell me something? Okay, yeah, I'm coming over. All right, what do you want to tell me about Rudolph? He leads, he leads Santa's, he leads Santa's sleigh. He leads Santa's sleigh. That's very good. Very good. He's a baby reindeer? He's a baby reindeer? Yeah, okay. Uh, can any kids... Tell me, what happened when Rudolph went to play the games with all the other little reindeers? All right, I'm going to come over here. I'll make my way over to you, too. Don't worry. All right, what happened? He got kicked out. What? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he got booted. Why did he get kicked out? Because he had a red nose. Because he had a red nose. All right. Do you, if you were playing at the playground and someone's nose turned red and started glowing like light, would you still play with them? Yeah. You're a good man. That's awesome. Do you, what do you think other kids would say? I don't really know. <laughs> Me neither. That's why I asked you. We'll see if anyone else. What, what do you think kids would say if someone's nose started glowing? That you can't play with us. You can't play with us, yeah. How do you think that would make him feel? Sad. Sad, Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad we've got at least one, one dude who will play with a glowing-nosed person. Um, but, but Rudolph, he wasn't allowed to come back and play anymore, was he? And that was a tough part of the story for him. Um, the, in, in the passage that we're looking at, it, when we read the story, sometimes we think they couldn't find a place to stay because the census was going on, and there were so many people in the city. But I, I want to tell you something that you, that, that's easy to miss in this passage, that you've got to remember, Joseph... This is like his city of origin. This is where his family line is from. And everyone who was from this city had to go back at this time, which is why so many people were there. But then you've got to think, why wasn't he staying with any relatives? Surely he would have had family members who still lived in the city. Surely there would have been people who didn't live in the city, that it was family members or friends that he grew up with that had come back to the city and would have had a place to park a pregnant wife. I mean, may, like, it, they didn't not find a room because it took too long to get there because Mary had to stop every 20 minutes because she's pregnant and small bladder syndrome with, you know, a baby sitting on it. That's not why they couldn't find a room. Really, what's most likely as to why they couldn't find a room is because people would have looked at Mary and Joseph and said, you guys shouldn't be having a baby yet. Some theologians disagree whether or not they were fully married by this point or if they were still considered engaged. But one of the big reasons of why Mary and Joseph ended up in a manger, in a small cave where animals were kept, is because people looked at them and said, no, I don't want you in my house. 
People looked at their situation and said, I don't want someone like you coming through my doors. And in the kids, the same way that Rudolph felt like other people were being mean to him and didn't like him because of something about him, Mary and Joseph would have been feeling the same way. They, they would have been feeling like other people were judging them. And parents, you know, we've probably felt times where we felt like other people were looking at us, and it may be true, it may not be true, but they're deciding the type of person we are based on what they think they know. Because what we know about Mary and Joseph is Mary and Joseph, they weren't doing something wrong. This baby was here for the best reason in the world. I mean, th this is something that God had been planning for generations and generations. And so when we look at their life, other people were looking at them and saying they're doing it right, but they were doing exactly what God wanted them to be doing. And they had to walk through some difficulty because of it. Sometimes it's okay to go through hard times because other people don't see the world right. And I wish there was more people that were out on the playground with Rudolph that would have said, yes, I'll play with someone with a glowing nose. Um, yes, even though you look different than me, I'll make room for you. And this, kids and adults, this is the first thing that I want us to see from this passage today, is that we should make room for people. We should make room for people. In our life, in our workplace, in the social areas that we go, we need to make room for people. And usually we have to be specific. We need to make room for people who are different than us. We as Christians, you know, in, in this passage, Mary and Joseph would have been judged. They would have been, people would have said they were in sin, that they had made mistakes, and so they weren't being brought into people's houses. Um, but in our culture, you know, we would never think of let, leaving a pregnant woman out in the cold. But there's lots of other people that we don't want to associate with. Our culture is still dealing and struggling through a lot of race issues. And I'm not saying you're in one place or the other about that, but I'm just saying we as believers in Christ who believe that God created mankind in his own image, that no matter what color of skin someone is, we're all the same family. We are all the same family. We all have eternal worth. That God has placed something inside of us that has value that no matter what their upbringing was like, no matter what language they spoke, no matter what country they were born in, none of that matters. They were all part of the same family. And the people who are different than us, we need to make places for them in our life. And, and not only that, people who seem unimportant. I mean, it's a truth, and we don't really like to say it that way, but we often just pass right by people who seem unimportant. The easiest thing to do, and maybe it's just because it's hard on my heart to stop and hear a story of difficulty, or it's hard on my heart to discern, is this person out here begging because of their own choices and their own desire to not work, or did something terrible happen? It's hard on my heart to stop for someone who's in a tough situation, but we have to make space for people whose life experience has been different than ours. Um, parents and even kids, some of you kids are getting older, I want to tell you something that I always try to do. Someone else taught me this. Um, but when a grown-up meets a child, like, you know, the, the child's down here and the grown-up's up here, and there's just this, usually it's kind of a gloss over thing. You wave and you go right past them. And that's what our culture does, and it's normal in our culture. Bigger kids, I encourage you to start doing this. When you meet a little kid, if you're physically able, get down here, eye to eye with them, and say, hi, my name's Paul. If your name is Paul, don't lie to them. Don't tell them you're me. But I, I, I do this, and when, when I do this with a kid, it's an interesting thing because even before I start to speak or say anything, they just smile because I've done something that is a little bit culturally abnormal 
for a grown-up to come down and like, because when you come down here, it's like you just left the grown-up's conversation because grown-ups won't talk to you while you're sitting down here. And so they know that you're right here with them. And the cool thing about it is it makes them know that you just stopped because you valued them. You wanted them to know that they had your full attention. And they might not think of all of those cultural things, but what they will feel is that just love in their heart that this person cares what I'm thinking and feeling. They care that I'm existing right now. And it's just one of those ways that we can make room for other people in our life. And, and we've got to find ways to communicate that love. And, and I, I love the, the whole picture of Jesus being born in a manger. It, it's the picture of the gospel. It's the picture of, of God coming down from his throne to a lowly place of saying, I'm going to humble myself to reach out towards them and glorify myself in their life. And, 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 I mean, you know, first, a king. A king should never be born in this situation, let alone God in flesh. The, the picture of the manger, it's just that, that, that tension that God is leaving heaven and coming to earth to show us his grace, to provide for our sins, to give us eternal life. He's coming to give us this gift. And earth's reaction in Bethlehem is to say, sorry, no room for you. I mean, it's just such an interesting contrast. It's this interesting tension that, that God is, the ultimate act of love is starting now. And, and man's reaction was, maybe go, go where the animals go. It's just an interesting tension of how, how lowly the entrance to the world was for God. And so when we think of humbling ourselves, when we think of, you know, speaking with someone who's been living homeless for the last few years, or, or stopping and taking time with a child, I want you to know that when you take that time to make places for people in your life, that, that you're modeling the behavior that Christ modeled. You're living the way that he lived, and you're loving people the way that he loved. And, and it is a beautiful and amazing thing. Continuing on in the passage, where, where we just see the simple, I mean, it's just a simple statement that, you know, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son her firstborn, a son. And it's this simple little passage, but I want to tell you that that simple occurrence of Christ's birth, it, it was generations in the making. I mean, there were promises to, to generation after generation that God was going to do something amazing through your family line. I mean, even all the way back to Adam and Eve, within the time where they fell in the garden, God placed a promise in there that he said, this serpent that has done this, your seed, your offspring, your child one day will crush that serpent's head. And it was the beginning of the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that this baby would be born. And we see these promises going out throughout the book of the Old Testament. I mean, continuing in Genesis, we see Abraham's life where God spoke to Abraham, and he said, I am going to bless all nations through your offspring. And, and, and these promises were continually happening, but the interesting thing is these promises that were leading up to the birth of Christ, the birth of this baby, for most generations, they didn't get to see those promises happen. They didn't get to see those promises fulfilled in their life, but God was painting a picture that would happen through that day. And, and it's tough when you have promises that feel like they haven't been fulfilled yet. Um, kids, has there ever been maybe just one time where your, your parents said something was going to happen and it didn't get to happen? Kids, has that ever happened? My daughters are raising their hands. Yeah, they, they know it. It's okay. It's okay, kids. Um, all, all parents have this. I want to tell you, children and adults, I get it. It's so hard as a parent when plans change and you, you can't do something you promised to, 
to your kids, at least internally in me, it's a struggle. We hate doing it. And so things happen kind of like what just happened yesterday in our family. We had told our kids that they were going to get to go to a movie and they were going to go ice skating. And then the day kind of went crazy. And it it became one of these things where uh, we just made the tough decision. My wife just said, you know what, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go do it. And so my wife took four kids while I had to go do some work, and she went to a movie theater. And she did that. And then after that, she went shopping with them. And after that, she, she brought them to the ice skating rink by herself because I had to get some work done. And, and after that, she jumped a building with a single bound and was you know, changing diapers faster than a speeding bullet. And I mean, she put on the superwoman cape and just pulled it off and completely exhausted herself and ran herself dry just because there's that, that drive in us that we want to fulfill our promises to our kids. And sometimes we get it done Sometimes we get it done when we shouldn't have got it done, and sometimes we don't get to. And parents, sometimes we have to say the best thing for us right now is to not do what we said we're going to do today. And kids, that's how it is, and that's how it's going to be when you're a parent one day. But the thing that I tell you is that when God makes a promise to you, it always happens because he knows what's going to happen in the future. And when God says, this is going to be what I say it's going to be, it always is. And when I think of the promises that we have from God, you know, we had for generations this promise that this child would be born. We had through Abraham, through David, through Isaiah, through Simeon, in Mary and Joseph's life. There's all of these promises, and God continued to make promises after the time of Jesus where he made promises to the Apostle Paul, and he made promises to Peter of things that I will do. And when I think of God fulfilling all of these promises, the truth that I want you kids to take with you and you adults to take with you is that God's promises always come true. I want you to know that, that his promises always come true. And for adults, this is great news because not, you know, health isn't promised in Scripture. Being wealthy is not promised in Scripture. But we are promised that we'll have joy, that, you know, where the Spirit of God is, that there's going to be freedom. He says the fruits of the Spirit are joy you can have peace, that you have patience, that you can have kindness, that you can have goodness, that you can have self-control. I mean, when we think of what we really want, parents, we don't really care about presence too much. I mean, a nice president is nice, but the thing that we really want is our family to be happy, right? We want to gather together and we want to have love. A lot of us, we want to say, we look at 2018 and we're like, oh man, I really want self-control. I want to lose this weight. I want to get in shape. We have these different things that drive us and the things that we really need, the things that we really want, I believe are promised to us in scripture and we can rest on those promises and then when we trust in God and we live the way that he's called us to live, we're going to see those promises come to life. And I'll tell you, parents, the things that are really closest to your heart, God has given to you. God has made available to you. When we make our heart available to him, he makes peace and joy available to us, which I know is better than any, prom- any present that's found underneath that Christmas tree. At the end of the verse, we see she gave birth to her first son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there is no guest room available them. The, the reception that Bethlehem gave the Savior of the world, well, you know, it, it's part of history. It's talked about. And I don't think that Bethlehem 
I don't think there's any evidence that points towards Bethlehem saying, you know what, we just want to shut God out. I don't think there's any evidence that says we don't want Jesus to be born inside of a house. I don't, I don't think you have that. But what you have is a city that was, had their cultural norms of saying this type of people we don't allow in our life. And, and we have this busyness going on. And, and so Jesus just got shut out. And, and in the same way that is happening in our lives. That it's not like we make a conscious decision that, you know, God's just not going to be part of our Christmas. We're going to open presents, and, but we're just not going to go to church. We're not going to talk about God. We're not going to read scripture together. I don't think we make that con- conscious decision to not do those things. But just because the business and the demands of the holiday, it just gets pushed out sometimes. And so we as parents, we as believers, we as family members, we as friends, as people who gather together, we have to make a decision that we want to open the door up for God. And the reason we want to do that is because when Christ was born, it wasn't just that it was a baby. And we use the term Messiah and Savior, but sometimes we miss just all of what that meant. When Jesus lived on earth, he was the perfect example of love. He was was kind and generous in ways that we can only dream, that we can try to attain to our entire life, but will always fail to live up to this model that Jesus set because he was so perfect all the time. He was the sibling in the house who always does everything right that you get compared to. I mean, but he was way beyond that. He, he was perfect all the time. Scripture describes him as the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Kids, you guys see the Christmas lights we have? They're pretty cool, huh? Do you guys have, do you, who has Christmas lights hanging at their house? Awesome. Are they pretty? Nod your head. Yeah, that's right. Dad says, yeah, they better be. <laughs> Christmas lights are awesome. Not just because it looks cool, but because it means something. Christmas lights are supposed to remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. And when you have a light that shines in the darkness... You can see it from far away. It stands out. It's different. Jesus' life on earth, it stood out. It was so different. He changed the world with love. He changed the world with generosity. And this person who lived the perfect life says, I want to pay for all of your mistakes so that you can know this same love. Band, can you guys go ahead and make your way back up to the stage? The last thing that I want you guys to know, kids and adults, is that the light of the world, it lives in you. This light of the world, this amazing life that Jesus lived, this amazing love that he taught, he says, I will create that in you. And that's an awesome thing. But it's not something that we're just born with, but it's something that one, one day we make a decision that we want to follow God with our life, that we believe in Jesus. And at that moment, it's like a light turns on inside of your life. And parents, children, if you haven't made that decision yet, man, Christmas is the, the perfect time to say, God, I believe. God, I believe. I trust you. Will you bring that peace and that joy that goes everywhere that you go? Will you bring that love that goes everywhere that you go? I believe when you make that decision, God's promises will come true. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that your son came and that he lived the perfect life so that we could know life, so that we could know you, so that we could experience a love that is beyond anything we could create. I pray for the families today. I pray that you would bind us closely together in your love and continue to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name.